Welcome to Beyond the Roadmap, Product Talk with AWH, a podcast for product people, by product people. Join us as experts share their experiences and expertise to help you build great products. This is Ryan Frederick from AWH, and this is Beyond the Roadmap, a podcast about building products. And with me today is Maria. And Maria, tell me if I, I butcher your name, but I believe it's Maria De Caris, right? Mm-hmm. Do you want to okay. say it the Italian way? It's De Caris, but that's good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I'll just stick with the American <laughs> version, which I probably also you know butchered in my upstate New York um, in a dialect, um, <laughs> which you know I. I grew up in upstate New York and, and I never thought that, you know, I had an accent or said, you know, things strangely compared to the rest of the, the country and the rest of the world. But, you know, even even now at a fairly advanced age, I get people, you know, that will say, hey, you're not from around here. And, you know, where are you from? Or, you know, um, overseas or whatever, they'll be like, hmm, that's kind of a weird accent. You know, what part of the United States are you from? So I don't know what it is because I think I sound perfectly <laughs> normal. But apparently people pick up on some, you know, upstate New York uniqueness. You know, I mean, I, I get that. Words. I'm from I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. And, you know, that's two hours away. And I still get that, too. So <laughs> I definitely understand that. Well, I mean, Cleveland people are a unique lot. So <laughs> there's there's no question about that. Yeah, I have to agree. Thanks for joining and uh, riffing about product and, and sort of UX and UX research and design uh, for a bit. And we've got we've got you know it, it turns out that we have Darren, who's the the, the podcast engineer for this, that that uh, makes these things sound reasonably good, given the fact that typically you know I just ramble on and you know use my <laughs> upstate New York dialect um, as part of this. So we know Darren, and then we've got a couple other other people that it turns out that we, we know jointly and you've landed at a, at a, a startup now called loop. Uh, I'm assuming you guys are just going by loop now and not loop returns, right? Yeah. Um, I think we still have some things to work out with that because if you Google loop, a few other companies come up, but yeah, I mean, returns is our flagship product. Um, and we intend to build more. So yeah, loop is kind of what we're going with in regard to into the brand now. Yeah, and how how did you how did you get there? You know, those that don't know, and, and some people want, might look look you up. Um, you are fairly young still. I hope that's an appropriate mm-hmm. thing to say. I don't. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, no, that's a disclaimer I wanted to make. I'm only 23. I graduated from Ohio State in 2018, so two years ago. I actually joined a program called Venture for America. It's a two-year fellowship for, you know, young talent across the country coming out of college to join a startup with the expectation and hope that you'll stay for at least two years. And yeah, VFA, they define like a base salary. The company pays like a placement fee because they have access to, you know, these graduates uh, who are hopefully very motivated, type A, smart from colleges across the country. And yeah, so I, I joined that, received some fellowship startup training over in Detroit. And prior to that, I went to a job fair in Columbus that they organized. And I sat down with Corbett Morgan and Joe Vancena, who are both at Loop. 
and uh, they laid out the vision and I just like fell in love. I had no intention of working in e-commerce, didn't study really anything super technical in undergrad, actually studied urban design, which now I kind of look back and I'm like, that was a form of like experience design that I was really learning, just applied differently. And yeah, fell in love with the vision that they presented, really kind of hounded them. Like I was interviewing with a lot of companies, but I was just really like stubborn and kept kind of pushing them to consider me at the time for a growth role in the company. I'm actually very naturally very introverted and a sales role is not really for me, but I just wanted to be at the company that badly and kind of knew that the role could potentially shift and you know, whatever opportunity I had there, it would be a learning opportunity. And I was kind of open, you know, to whatever they wanted to throw my way, especially because like sales is the front line of any business. And yeah, just really went for the vision and the team that was there. They seemed like a team that would really invest in me and be open to teaching me. And fortunately, I was definitely right about that. So that's what led me there. And I definitely have to credit VFA. It's an amazing program. They place about 150 fellows a year at different startups across the country that are not New York or Silicon Valley. You know, a lot of us have landed in Columbus, Cleveland, Detroit, New Orleans, just atypical cities when you're looking at, you know, early stage companies, especially early stage tech. So it's a great program. And you may be familiar with Andrew Yang. He just ran in the 2020 Democratic primary election and He definitely vouched for VFA and some of his work there a bit. Yeah, he really set up an incredible program, and I'm definitely proud to be part of it. Well, I can vouch for the fact that you're a little bit introverted because at first it felt like I was selling you to do this um, and sort of (laughs) pulling you across the finish line. And so I'm happy that you decided to do it and... uh, you know, for us to get a, a chance to talk for a bit. Yeah, I have to. I have to plug Paul Reeder for nudging me to do this. He's a professor of mine from Ohio State, and we've stayed in touch. Um, I know he's a great friend of yours as well. But having mentors like him who will check in and you know say that's a good experience, you should do it. That's definitely everything. So you know that was the extra push that I needed. But yeah, I'm happy to be here. Very excited that, you know, you thought of me and wanted to get some of my thoughts on this space. Well, I think it's good, you know, getting a cross-section of, of perspectives around product and, and UX and design and all things associated to creating products because um, – I think even though product is a fairly new discipline and it's actually not new, we just, we just figured out what to call it and we just figured out that it is a discipline, but people who've been building successful products have been executing a product process and discipline. They just didn't know that they were uh, and they didn't know Mm -hmm. what to call it necessarily. So it's really not new. We've just figured out how to treat it as a craft rather than it, it being something that just sort of happens by by circumstance. So let's give people some context because as, as we dive into talking more about product and UX and and UX research and those kinds of things, because a lot of it's going to center around your current role now at, at Loop and yep. what your experiences mm-hmm. have been. So what is Loop? What problem do you solve? Who do you solve it for? You know, Give us a little bit of a behind the scenes at, at Loop and what you guys are about. Yeah, of course. Um, Yeah, I'll start with our mission, which is very well ingrained in my head at this point. 
Loop exists to love what we buy through deepening our connection to brands and products. So our current flagship product is a returns app. It sits on top of Shopify and it facilitates returns and exchanges for brands to reduce the manual work involved and then hopefully result in some upsell transactions as well. So this product touches our merchants with an admin interface where they can manage returns and view the insights that ultimately drive inventory and merchandising decisions. And then our end users are their customers who can then use the returns portal to either return, do an even exchange, or shop the store's collection with their return credit. Yeah, the returns returns is a big problem. The more we shop online, the more brands extend themselves financially, and returns are a big part of that. Returns account for 20 to 30% of e-commerce sales, which can become quite the financial burden to a growing direct-to-consumer brand. And what's more is that the cost of acquiring those users in the first place also goes down the drain. So we really look at pitching LTV, lifetime value, to brands and kind of vouch for the fact that they need to measure that against customer acquisition and really pay attention to the post-purchase experience as a whole. I would say that Corbett Morgan, who's our chief product officer, said it best in a recent TechCrunch write-up. He said that the big problem we're trying to solve long-term is connection infrastructure. So that's along the lines of like, why does this brand matter? Uh, Why does it mean something to me? Why does the product matter? We want to enforce more mindfulness and meaning into buying. And that kind of last piece is what brought me to Loop and what I'm excited to kind of like work on and ultimately solve over the long term. And I would say that like the company has defined like a set of core values that really drive every decision we make in the product. And those are community, courage, simplicity, presence, and proof. As a UX researcher, I would say that my favorite value is simplicity. And the way that we've defined that is that there's beauty and simplicity and simple does not mean easy. We work like hell at Loop to make the complex simple. And I think that that's really like the value that we provide both to our brands and the end user. So I had sent, for those listening, I had sent Maria, as I typically do, a set of questions just to have a framework and a guide for the conversation. So, you know, we, we don't we don't sound like, you know, bumbling idiots and we're just sort of, you know, wandering around aimlessly. <laughs> but you just said in your description of, of Loop and your mission and your values and how you think about the product and how you think about users, th- there was so much there that was meaty to unpack that I, that I want to do that. Yeah. Because the, the it's a little bit of a m- misnomer. Well, and there's actually a thing, you know, called complexity bias, mm-hmm. right? Where we fundamentally believe as humans that you can't solve complex problems simply, that complex problems must be solved with complexity because the problem is complex, which means it must take a complex solution to solve it because simple solutions to complex problems intuitively for us as, as, as humans doesn't compute, right? Right. And, and so that's one of the challenges we have as product people is, is overcoming that and, and having the intention and driving to how can we make it simpler? How can we make it more elegant? Because one of the things that I've always tried to achieve and and in our work at AWH with clients that, that we use is, as a guiding principle is to always strive for simple and elegant. Yeah. But that's hard. So how do you think about it and how how do does the team at Loop sort of 
think about driving to that intention of simple and elegant? Yeah, I mean, like simplicity is bliss, right? I think the job of a designer, you know, I like to think of like someone like Darren or um, someone who's like a video producer, like their job is to eliminate, you know, they drive forward to what is essential. There's a book I really love that I'm kind of plugging here. Um, It's called Essentialism by Greg McEwen. That's my favorite book of all time. It's not really self-help. I think it's just like sort of just like awareness on what you just described, like how we kind of drive with that complexity bias. And, you know, we don't know how to be subtractive to kind of get what we really want out of life and, um, you know, our experiences. And I think that the job of a designer is really to drive to, you know, an MVP and really understand like, what is the best possible outcome? What can we eliminate here? And I think the role of the engineer is to engineer products in such a way that, you know, you're not layering all these things on top of it. You know, you're engineering in a way that allows for future outcomes, you know, building upon the product in a way that, you know, is iterative and doesn't require like a lot of, I'm trying to find the right word. Well, there's product, there's product debt, right? So there's, there's there's technical debt. That's exactly what I'm, yeah. Technical debt is, you know, what will ultimately prevent you from driving to simplicity. Because if you kind of like, you have to find the right balance, I think, in engineering to manage that so that designers can really drive with the right solution. And we're not like layering things on the product that make it impossible to do that. So I think like our work in the design domain is really to drive to an MVP and the best solution and reduce the complexity. And the engineers like have to understand that they need to manage the technical debt and build the product in a way that allows for outcomes that are different and more innovative and iterative um, as the designers continue to drive on the best solution. Yep. So you've got fundamentally two, two different sort of users at loop. Mm -hmm. You've got, um, the consumer, and then you've got, you know, the, the brand, how do you balance, um, your product roadmap, your, your work, staying close to each of those, those users, understanding the, the value, um, equation for each of the users. And, and then, you know, how do you, do you take a similar approach from like a UX research and product roadmap perspective, for each or do you have different processes because the user the user value is is so different for um Mm -hmm. for each of the user groups yeah yeah that's great i think i'll i'll first start by describing like who our users are and then kind of get into you know how we design for them yes we do have different users at loop and our approaches definitely have to like acknowledge their needs on one side we have merchants so you know, the people at these brands that we work with, which include like Allbirds, Brooklyn and Princess Polly, some of the biggest like e-commerce brands that are on Shopify. Those brands care about customer experience, operational efficiency, better unit economics and business intelligence. So our returns admin really needs to provide the best experience to enable that. The merchant customer is our end user And they care about time, money, effort, and our returns portal really needs to 
you know, enable the most efficient, cost-effective outcome for them. And in order to design for each user group, we have to really understand and be able to access the end user associated with the product initiative that we're pursuing. I think for the most part to date, we've really been able to understand the end user through our brands. These brands are typically online online first and customer experience focused, and they have a great pulse on our end user and what their needs are. So I think it's a great thing that we can kind of access that through them. But I think now that UX research is being becoming more established as a domain within Design at Loop, I think that we'll have more direct access to the end user with testing. But to date, we've really just been anticipating their needs through interactions with our brands and our merchants and really asking them questions to understand what the experience needs to be for them. In regard to designing for the brands, I would say that we work pretty closely with some of our larger brands like Allbirds and Chubbies and many others um, through like an Airtable intake process. And they're, you know, they're constantly submitting feedback through our support team who will then elevate that to the product team through our intake process. And I think we're lucky in that they are very vocal about their needs and what their priorities are as a business. So we're kind of able to take that and let it inform our product. And nine times out of 10, it's been like many brands voicing, you know, the same thing and different needs around like point of sale or international, et cetera. So I think we're really lucky in that a lot of our intake is, you know, sort of, they come directly to us with that. And it's not a lot of like, you know, we're nagging them with, you know, surveys and all these different things to like get their feedback. Like we have very consistent communication with our brands and they really lean on us as a tool. So they're very vocal about, you know, how to provide the best experience for them. So that's a great thing that we have access to. And I'm definitely looking forward to starting to work with like the end user more directly in my UX research. Yeah, that's awesome that you've got brands and the, and the merchants are almost pulling you guys through from a product improvement perspective because mm-hmm. a lot of companies really struggle with getting and staying close to their customers and users because you know it's it's hard and and dealing with people is messy and and they almost always you know are, are coming with problems and enhancements and they're not they're not coming to pat you on the back to say how awesome the product is and so there's almost it's almost problematic by nature right to get and stay close to users yet as yeah. product people that's what we have to do and the fact that you guys have versus but I think it also speaks to the value of the problem that you're working on and the value of, of how you guys are, are solving it with the product because they wouldn't be pulling you through if they didn't think that it wasn't important to them and they didn't value it. And two, well, three, I guess, that they didn't think that you guys would be responsive. Right. So yeah. you've also I established think- a culture there that I think matters. And one cool thing about our product is that the core team you know, they were at Rocket Code and they were building a solution directly for Chubby's, the shorts brand. Um, and they're a big stakeholder in Loop and they're constantly providing feedback. We work very closely with them. We originally built for them and then we scaled as a solution for other brands. So it was really interesting to kind of have a product that was built 
sort of directly for and by our customer. And from there, it's just like iterative improvements. And I think it really does speak to the value of the product because when customers have access to something they love, you know, they're only going to want to improve it. And we need to be seen as, you know, a partner of these brands, not just like an app. I always think that it's really important to have like that face-to-face interaction. Um, You know, we're not something that you just like download and then get rid of. Like we're a team of people that's really here to support these brands. And I think our relationship with them is really strong. And I also have to give credit to our support team because they're incredibly responsive, you know, up until now. For a long time, it was a team of one and then two and then three. And they're working with like two to 300 customers um, and being directly responsive and providing great service. And I think that that's everything. Yeah, it's when when you're you're trying to grow and scale a company, you're often asking, you know, people to do and sort of unreasonable amount of work until Mm -hmm. you can get to a point where you understand even how to sort of right size a team, right? Uh, In any area of the company and what systems and tools you need in place, you know, et cetera. As you guys think about your approach to the product, do you sort of build something and then take it to, uh, take it to customers and to users and, and say, Hey, we built this. What do you think? Or are you more of a, hey, let's work with the, the customers and the users to figure out, you know, where the product needs to evolve. And then you're iterating with them sort of conceptually first before you start designing and building anything. How do you sort of approach how you're evolving the product and, and whether you build first and then get feedback or whether you get feedback and iterate first conceptually before you start building? Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on the initiative that we're solving for. So I think of like, you know, partnering with a carrier to offer like, you know, negotiated carrier rates uh, or like pick up or drop off solutions. Like first, we need to like work with carrier partners to see like what's possible. And, you know, that's something that we know, something that we know would provide value to our merchants. Um, It's not really something we would have to like validate with them. But I think like as we build that and we provide like an interface for those options, we would definitely want to bring that to them and get feedback. But on the other hand, like if I think of like our intake process that our product manager built, it's just a simple Airtable form. And we have a lot of fields built out that really describe and group these pieces of feedback into like larger feature initiatives. It takes like some manual work, but it's been a great solution that's worked for us so far. You know, anyone on the team, whether it's sales or support has access to an intake form where they submit pieces of feedback and we can kind of like monitor and prioritize those pieces based on like frequency, level of importance, whether it would contribute to churn or retention of a brand and really use that to like inform and prioritize a roadmap. And if we start moving on a feature that kind of came through that intake process, we're able to kind of see which brands submitted pieces of feedback that relate to that initiative and then kind of go to them as we begin to validate and put that initiative into discovery. You know, I've been on a few calls with brands where we just kind of ask them high level questions to better understand like what they were describing, what their needs are, 
what their tech stack is that we need to accommodate. Yeah, really just scope it out with them. And then I think we're starting to get better at bringing them a solution once it's in like the final stage of design so that we can like really test it with them and get more detailed feedback um, on the experience before we ship it into development. But, you know, that's a new area for us. We've been moving really quickly and pushing a lot of features through to development just so fast. Like I think in the past month, we scoped 12 different features for engineering. So I think now that we have the engineering capacity to build really quickly, it will be very important to test before, you know, we bring things to them. So how do you guys figure out what experiments are going to run and what things you're going to build and, and how do you prioritize? How, how do you sort of figure out the, the roadmap, if you will? Yeah, um, I would say it's like heavily through that intake process that I just described in Airtable. We use that to inform like what what initiatives are tagged with like different levels of priority and that then eventually gets translated into our roadmap. But we do have a lot of like high impact requests that come in. I think we're like trying to operate like less of an agency and really try to like build out like a detailed and thoughtful roadmap that's months ahead of, you know, what we're communicating to merchants. But yeah, I would say it's like heavily our intake process that determines like what we need to validate. My work is heavily in the discovery space of product development. So in regard to running tests, I think that like now that we've hired a couple of product designers, they'll be sort of thinking about like, you know, how we A-B test, how we bring things to the end user to validate before we ship. But up until now, it's just been like prioritizing our intake and sort of thinking through like the best experience um, and bringing that to the developers and then getting feedback on those initiatives and iterating. So yeah, I mean, as a team of like 15 for, you know, months and months, I think it's been hard to be really like intentional about that process. But now that we're you know, we've exploded to like 50 people, we can start to be. So it's definitely an exciting time. And I'm definitely looking forward to being more intentional about how we like prioritize different experiments. Yeah. How much of your UX research is, would you say, is validating what you believe versus learning about what you don't know? Yeah. I mean, because I'm so from a personal standpoint, because I'm so early in my career, it's almost entirely learning what I don't know. But my leaders at Loop have just an amazing pulse on the market and have either worked for and with Shopify merchants for some time at an agency or just have very close and consistent contact with you know the leaders at brands as they work to prioritize our roadmap. So they tend to come to the design team with concepts that are pretty well vetted. And my job from there is really to help figure out the best possible experience that we can build. But yeah, I mean, I think moving forward, it really like doing that research is really going to lean on understanding the user and having more like direct contact with them. I think I've just been lucky in that my like leaders at the company have really just sort of helped um, inform my perspective and they've been really open and transparent with like what the needs are. Yeah, one of the things that product um, teams are always challenged with 
it's kind of the responsibility of research, but it ultimately affects you know everybody on a product team. Is users will will often say things differently than how they actually interact with the product and want to use the product, and part of it is just around something that doesn't exist yet that a user is 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 giving you their best guess right on what might solve their problem and and be valuable to them but until they get designs in front of them and before they can actually touch it and use it and it becomes tangible they don't really know and so one of the things that is still really challenging as part of product is is that transition from what are users saying versus you know what they're actually doing and and then being able to to react more to the doing than what they said originally which is frustrating because you often then build things and design things in light of what users said that they wanted and needed and what would be valuable and how it would work well you know etc and then you and then you get it to them and then they're like mm, you know it's sort of is what we wanted and that's a really tough transition how how do you think about that and how do you guys work through those challenges of yeah this is what they said and we gave them that but what they said wasn't exactly what they wanted yeah that's a great question and i really like i do see that a lot where like our customers will kind of like describe you know what they like they'll describe a solution before the problem that they're experiencing and i think that one thing i've learned over the past years to kind of like you know, let go of like the naive parts of me that, you know, just wants to like directly translate the solution that they're describing into, you know, the wireframes and the designs that we're going to build and put out in front of them. I think it's really important to just take a step back and go through that kind of like design thinking framework where, you know, you're empathizing, you're conducting the research to develop a deeper understanding of the user. You know, you define what their needs are. So combining research and observing where their problem exists. And then like in pinpointing those needs, you can highlight opportunities for innovation. And then that ideation phase begins where you're generating a range of potential solutions by giving you and yourself, yourself and your team the freedom to collaborate and really just go with, go and run with designs and different solutions. And then from there, you're building your prototypes to test that solution. And I think that's the right, that's the sweet spot where, you know, you should get on a call with a brand and um, present the different solutions and what that interaction will look like to see if you're kind of on the right track. But I think those like former stages are really important because, you know, while you're empathizing with them, you're not like directly translating what they're describing onto paper, like you're taking a step back and really scoping out the full problem, seeing if it exists among other customers, and then kind of giving yourself and your team the freedom to like really collaborate and come to the best outcome. And then you can bring that back to them and see what their thoughts are. But the solution should meet their needs, it shouldn't be driving to the best translation of what they're saying it's like really just meeting the needs of the problem that they're like describing yeah there's some interpretation as part of it that can be hard to balance and get right and if you just if you just take a, a user and a customer 
if you take their sort of perspective around it uh, around it as gospel and then mm-hmm. you just you just start you know iterating against that it's often frustrating because you often end up in a place that doesn't serve you know the doesn't serve the product best and the customer best ultimately definitely not no and that's that's how you build up technical debt and that's when you start to make things complex you know a solution may feel simple but if you're not designing it intentionally and in a holistic regard to the product as a whole you know you're going to start to lose the simplicity and really accumulate on the technical debt and yeah it just it's designing for them but then also having some regard to like the product as a whole and taking that holistic approach and really mapping out you know what areas of an app this is going to affect and what it may impact and really taking a step back to do that holistic discovery and then scope with engineering, you know, before driving on something that you think is simple. Yeah. What tools do you get? You mentioned, you've mentioned the Airtable intake form. What other tools are you guys using from a UX research perspective, a design perspective, or anywhere sort of in the, the product, you know, production chain? Some literal tools that we're using are um, Airtable. We use that to organize all of our feedback and manage our intake process. We use their forms function to allow our team to kind of like easily contribute there. We experimented with product board for a bit, and I think that we will go back to that eventually. It's a great tool and can really kind of automatically organize some of the insights for you so that you can like really place priority on different items. We just stepped away from that because we built a better process in Airtable that's been working for us for now. We use Typeform to gather feedback in the form of a survey for merchants, um, Zoom calls to speak to them, you know, face to face. A lot of our merchants are on the West Coast, um, in New York, etc. So Face-to-face is still important. I don't think that we need to be traveling to get the insights that we need. I think, you know, we're learning, especially now that Zoom works great. So we do a lot of that. We also use Notion. It's a great tool. It's sort of like an up-and-coming product. For a long time, they were a team of 10, and they just raised millions of dollars to build out their product more. But it's basically like kind of like a wiki and nested notes, and we have like everything loop related in that tool. So we're starting to kind of like organize a lot of our feedback and interviews and surveys and insights and product briefs in there. And it's been great because we can kind of all find and reference it very easily. I think that's awesome that you mentioned Notion. um, Yeah. Because one of the things that I think that gets underappreciated is the fact that often startups are and this is a, this is a really delicate balance for startups, <laughs> but startups, um, because they are bringing a different way of looking at a problem and a process, you know, to to bear, their initial customers are often other growing companies and startups yeah, that absolutely. are also trying to work differently, and so. I think Slack mostly started right in with you know small teams and startups and and, oh, and yeah. you mm-hmm. know and, and so there's this there is this weird startups leveraging other startups to sort of grow and and succeed before it becomes more broad based and a little 
more sort of enterprise relevant. Yeah. And I, and I think that's an interesting sort of dynamic and underappreciated dynamic of for startups and, and startups being customers of startups. Yeah, I mean, it's community. And I think like, I love submitting feedback to the Notion team. I know that they're just a handful of people and I know that they see it and appreciate it. And they do, they have a phenomenal product. If you haven't checked it out, please do. It's great. It can help you organize your whole life, you know, if you need that. But now, why would you say that? Why would you say <laughs> if I need help organizing my life? I, I need help organizing my life. Notion's done a lot for me. But they have all these like templates that are pre-built for you to like budget and plan trips. And they're just like really thoughtful about like anticipating what you might want out of a tool like that. So it's great to see, like, I love a product that comes at you with things that are like already templated and they, they're showing you like the best way to use it. And I think like, yeah, that dynamic is true about like startups using startup products. But I also think that the tech community especially is like pretty tight knit, you know, even if we're across different coasts, I think it's like, we know what good development looks like and we have an affinity and appreciation for good design and we love to optimize things and processes and really drive to like an MVP. So using a tool like Notion has been great, Airtable too. And yes, we definitely have heavily rely on Slack for communication. But yeah, I mean, it's it's all just good design and good products and we all lean on each other to make things happen. So we are chatting right now during the COVID-19, you know, pandemic and quarantine mm-hmm. situation. You mentioned Zoom and doing things more virtually. How has work changed for you? How has work changed for the company, given that yeah, everybody's now remote and, and most things are happening virtually? Yeah, I mean, I think it shifted our entire perspective about the freedom to work remotely at Loop. We've been hiring, I think we're about like 30% remote right now, full-time. Or not right now, like we're all remote. But prior to COVID-19, we were at like about 30% remote employees because, you know, we need to get leaders in the industry. And some of them exist on the West Coast. Some are in New York, some are in Canada, up by Shopify. And so we've been working towards becoming more remote friendly. And I think the perspective now is, And what it should have always been is that, you know, work is not a place you go. It's a thing that you do. We're lucky to rely on technology to stay connected and to kind of have already set up some processes and workflows to support remote culture. You know, Zoom was a big investment for us and having all that set up, like conferencing and whatnot at the office, it, you know, required some like a good level of effort, but it was definitely worth it. And it definitely put us in a good position to kind of manage communication right now um, and stay connected face-to-face, not just over Slack, which is something that I really value. I need to have that face-to-face time with my manager and my team. So that's been a shift for Loop. I think that like once we are ready to go back to our office um, and we're building a nice new office out in the short north, and that won't be ready until like mid to end September. So that may not, that may be the time that we return to an office. It will really be seen as like a place to collaborate, something that needs to provide value for the team, you know, not just a place that we show up to without like some level of intentionality. So that's been a shift in mindset. And then like 
in regard to like my work directly, I think we're starting to think about what our merchants really need during this time. We just shipped a free version of the product to be responsive to merchants who may not be, you know, either willing or able to sign contracts with us during this time. So they can still get like the basic high level value out of our product, um, which is really just the basic returns management. So it's stripped of some features, but they're able to access kind of like what's important and reduce some of the manual overhead that they have. So our team's been working on that. Our product manager found out through talking to several merchants that it is an issue for people who bought an item in store to return online because the store would not have collected their zip code information, which is something that you need for order lookup in our portal. So we're kind of designing a different returns flow that accommodates for that like lack of information to still validate that customer and their order so that they can get in there. So it's like the product, like we're trying to be responsive to the fact that everything's online right now. Our merchants are, you know, they have, especially the smaller ones and depending on what vertical they're in, um, you know, if it's luxury travel, et cetera, like they're hurting um, and we want to be responsive to them and make sure that they have what they need to just stay afloat during this time. So I think we're just trying to be more thoughtful in regard to that and shift our roadmap around and really think about the experience and where we need to accommodate for the impacts of this pandemic. Well, I can I can say that I love the fact that, that Loop as a product was born out of working with a customer on a very specific problem and then it sort of you know morphed and you know evolved from that because i think i think those are the best and most successful products mm-hmm. and companies because it's you still see a lot and and i'm not a huge fan of accelerators because often accelerators are ideas you know in search of a problem and and right. um, teams in in search of you know a problem and and you know they're you know well-intentioned smart people you know often but I think the most organic, you know, problems and, and opportunities, you know, are still the best ways to build the the best and, and most valuable products because they're born out of necessity. And, and then when you're iterating really closely with a customer early, it just assures a direct line of value between solution and problem when you're working with, you know, a, a customer, you know, early to you know, build a product that, that solves their problems. So, you know, I'm not surprised yeah. that you guys have had success and are continuing to, you know, grow and expand around it because what you started with Chubby's around is, is in my mind, always the best way to start. The most organic, opportunistic things turn out to be the best almost all the time. Yeah. And I think I've been really fortunate with my experience in starting here because I think like, you know, my career will shift and change and I will be at different companies or potentially starting or working on different companies um, in my future. And I think that the products I want to continue to bet on and build are those that are built directly in response to a problem that has been identified by working closely with the end user. You know, I'm not in the business of ideating and creating solutions that aren't solving any needs for anyone. Um, I'm definitely in the business of solving big problems and 
I think as our world continues to change, more problems will present and we need to be responsive and adaptive to that. And I'm definitely looking forward to finding great individuals to work with, like the people I get to work with at Loop to do that every day. Well, I mean, it was obvious, you know, during the course of this conversation that you're from Cleveland, the, the, Cleveland, <laughs> the Cleveland persona just came out and it was, it was, it, you couldn't contain it. So that's I good. hope it's like a sense of like community and loyalty. Um. I don't know. I was just, I was, I'm just teasing you. It's, um, <laughs> but I appreciate you taking the time to chat and I'm glad you're well during this, you know, pandemic craziness and yeah, you uh, too. for you to take, you know, an hour out of your time to uh, have the conversation. I'm grateful for and hope you guys continue to do good things at Loop. Thanks so much, Ryan. I appreciate that. This is Ryan Frederick, and this has been Beyond the Roadmap, a podcast about building products. Thanks very much for listening. We will see you next time. Need some help with product? AWH is a digital product consulting, user experience, and software development firm here to help you create great digital products. Check out www.awh.net or follow us on Twitter at AWHnet to learn more.